Tonight we continue through uh, the book of 1 Peter. We're getting close to the end, actually. We're getting close to the end of 1 Peter. Uh, and it's been, uh, it's been a great journey, actually, as we've kind of gone verse by verse through uh, what is quite a really fascinating book. Uh, a book written uh, with a really pastoral heart, uh, a really soft, compassionate heart uh, from the Apostle Peter, uh, writing to the church in Asia Minor, uh, people who have been um, feeling uh, basically there is hostility toward them. They are a marginalised people, not only in the Gentiles camp, but also potentially from the kind of the Jewish uh, conservative area as well. And so you've got these people who are wanting to be faithful in following Jesus, but are feeling quite disheartened. Uh, they're feeling challenged. Uh, they're suffering on a regular basis. And uh, and the truth is uh, that suffering is something that we need to talk about. Um, I, I know that for me, uh, when I chat with faith uh, to people, particularly those who maybe uh, who don't identify as a Christian or maybe struggle with faith, one of the big issues that they have is this idea of suffering. You know, how can there be a good God when I experience uh, so much suffering, when I see so much suffering? Like, what do I do with this suffering. Um, and it's interesting in some respects that uh, when we think about suffering, for some people it almost feels like it doesn't belong. And we've got good reason to understand why it doesn't belong. But at the same time, it's almost like sometimes it appears as a bit more of a surprise. And that is something that Peter is going to address tonight. I don't know if you've ever uh, suffered in such a way that came as a surprise. Maybe you had kind of anticipation that something was going to turn out a nicer way and it just did not turn out. Um, I've, I've got a particular story that, that I recall and I believe that the statute of limitations has kind of passed that I could share this story. It was always one of these stories in our house that we just didn't really talk about. Um, and it was when I was uh, back in, I was about 14, 15 years old, as a family, we decided that we wanted to go on a holiday. Uh, and my mum worked with someone at the school that she worked with. And that person said, hey, we've got a holiday house at this place called St. Leonard's. Now, St. Leonard's uh, is on the west side of Melbourne. Um, if Melbourne kind of is around a bay. And St. Leonard's is on the western side of that. Uh, and we thought, that sounds amazing. A holiday house at the beach. That's not something that is common to us as a family. We'd go over there. We'd have a great time. So we all uh, got into the car, all six of us, and we worked our way to St. Leonard's. And we, you know, we didn't expect too much, but we expected at least a kind of a bit of a beach house, something kind of near the beach. And when we got there, it was certainly not what we expected. We pulled up to this house, and we kind of been preparing ourselves for beach house. And while it was true that it was in proximity to the beach, it probably couldn't exactly be called a house in the state that it was in. It had a set of steps that were leading up to the front door that had broken to such an extent that you couldn't actually get in the front door. Uh, you kind of had to jump up in order to reach the door. And we're like, this is kind of bizarre. Maybe it's like a facade. But no, we went around the back. And this kind of house had been in such a state of disarray that we weren't even sure really how to get in. I remember my sister went into the backyard. She saw a hammock hanging up between two trees. And she thought, this, this feels a bit more beach. And she got into a hammock and it snapped. And that was kind of like, oh, no, this is not going well. And then we thought, well, maybe it's just looking a little weathered on the outside. So we opened the doors of this beautiful gift that was from my mum's colleague. And we opened it up and the inside was an absolute mess. It's like it hadn't been lived in for years. And we're like, we don't know if we can actually stay here. Like this is what was kind of going through our mind. We'd driven all this way as a family. We'd planned to stay for a week. And we're like, we actually don't know if we could physically stay here in St. Leonard's. And it took us by surprise. I'm going to share a little bit more of that story later. 
But this idea of suffering and surprise is what's going to come out through this passage. And, uh, and there's actually even in a whole area of study on this in Bible college. They call it theodicy. How do we talk about suffering and a good God? Well, Peter has some insight for us tonight. So we're going to start here in 1 Peter chapter 4. If this is your first time at ASBC, welcome. We've been journeying slowly through this book. Um, you may want to kind of go back and listen to a few more sermons, but uh, this is where we are starting. Dear friends, verse 12, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to the whole world. So again, let's just pick up on here. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fire trials you are going through. So what we're talking about here, it's funny how as Christians, we see that word fire and we always think future. For some reason we do that. But Peter is talking about the present. These are people who are under essentially persecution. There was hostility toward them and they are experiencing the burn. They are experiencing the heat of, of, of an expression of faith that is not being valued or appreciated by the people around them. So this is about suffering in the present, which of course should make sense when we consider the whole rest of this letter that we have gone through so far. But from this, it's actually important, I suppose, that we first kind of ask the question of ourselves, like where does suffering fit into our own theology? Where does suffering fit into our understanding of God and the world and faith? You see, because as a pastor, I've heard a whole lot of different perspectives on suffering, some of which I affirm and some of which I contest. I've heard of suffering and the experience of suffering as some sort of punishment. You experience suffering and this is God's punishment against you. Okay, I've heard that before, right? I've heard that from Christians before. I don't agree with it, but this is what I've heard. For other people, they just go, it's just God's will. It's like I trust in God and, and it is his will for us to suffer. And, and so there's this sense of kind of like, it's okay, I've just got to kind of endure this. I've heard of suffering as something to escape. I've just got to escape suffering. And we find that not just within some sort of kind of Christian theology. Sometimes we find that in other religions as well. I simply need to escape. I need to experience nirvana. I need to separate myself from this kind of matter of the world that is broken, right? Again, everyone has to deal with suffering. Some people even go to the other extreme. Suffering is something to embrace, which seems really foreign. But some people place themselves, they even physically hurt themselves, right, in forms of suffering as if to somehow identify with that suffering because it is actually something to embrace. So people have all sorts of ways of dealing with this problem of suffering, but it is something that we all are experiencing in one way or another. But the thing that Peter starts by pointing out is that it is not strange to suffer. You should not be surprised that you're going through these fiery trials. Don't be surprised. This is to be expected. Now, I make a caveat here in that it's not that God created us to suffer, right? We weren't created to suffer. But the potential that humanity is instilled with includes the possibility of evil and pain. And so to save you a Bible college subject, I'll tell you what they land on. They say this, evil arises at the point of human decision. That is what they land on. 
Evil arises at the point of human decision. Every human's capacity for good is equally weighed with every human's capacity for evil. And when we look at the Bible and even the biblical narrative of Adam and Eve, what is the crux point where sin and suffering enters the world at the point of human decision? So there you go. You can still go and hear it again. But that is where they land on. Evil arises at the point of human decision. And so Peter says... This should not surprise you that you're going through some temporary suffering here on earth because decisions essentially are happening all around us. But the question is, in this text, why does he say that we shouldn't be surprised? But also, why does he say be very glad? I mean, it's one thing to to not be surprised. It's another thing to actually be glad at our suffering, right? That feels like a bit of a flip, Peter. That's taking it a little bit too far. Well, let's unpack this a little bit, especially what's going on with the language. Now, I know this for some of you might seem a little kind of academic, but it's really, really fascinating what is happening here. Now, there's a couple of words here, surprised and something strange here in verse 12. And these are kind of like kind of classic words that we kind of in English particularly, we we kind of go, oh, we know what it means to be surprised and we know what it means to have something that is strange. But in the Greek here, this is a very, very interesting translation of Peter. In fact, these words have been translated this way uniquely against every other use of these Greek words in Scripture in this passage. The two words that we look at here, right, zenzido, it's actually got a kind of D sound in there, right, which in 1 Peter is translated be surprised, do not be surprised, and then xenos, right, which translated in 1 Peter is some strange thing. Now, throughout the rest of the Bible, These two words aren't translated as be surprised or some strange thing. Now, I'm sure translators have a good reason for that, and that's totally fine. But everywhere else in the scriptures, they are translated, zenidzo is translated to have hosted or entertained, right? This is where you'd hear, for example, in Hebrews uh, chapter, I think it's actually chapter 13, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. They have entertained angels, right? That word entertained is that word here. They have hosted, they have entertained angels without realizing it. This other word, xenos here, some strange thing, actually is translated as a stranger or a guest in every other instance in Scripture. For example, in Matthew chapter 25, the famous words of Jesus, For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. Stranger invited you into my home. That stranger invitation is that word xenos. So within this 1 Peter passage, I know this is a little bit of a brain drain, but it's actually worth kind of understanding what is going on here in the text, is there is this kind of subversive message that is in this text that is contained within these words, strange and surprise, that actually speaks to our experience of suffering in a different way. It isn't just like, oh, that's strange, or oh, that took me by surprise. These words, strange and surprise, are actually about hosting something that is foreign. That's actually what's going on in this text. Hosting or entertaining, showing hospitality to something that is foreign. And so what Peter is actually communicating through this message is essentially do not be surprised because in a world of suffering, we are temporary guests, okay? We are temporary guests. 
We are being hosted, so to speak, temporarily, and we are guests who actually do not belong here, at least as the way the world has been expressed. And so there's this sense in which Peter's going, hey, you don't have to be surprised that you're experiencing suffering. Everyone experiences suffering, and you're experiencing it because you're a Christian in this case, but at the same time, you are actually a temporary guest in this broken world. It's something kind of subversive and kind of beautiful. I thought it was interesting when we went to St. Leonard's when we were experiencing this particular kind of house and experiencing the, the suffering that went with it. There's a sense in which even though we didn't really like the environment that we were entering into, we were still guests, right? Which meant we couldn't burn it, we couldn't destroy it, we still felt guilty when the hammock broke, right? There's a sense in which it's like we still have to treat this thing with honour and dignity and respect, even though we didn't really like the fact that it was what it was. We were still guests. And this is true of Christ as well. I mean, look at these next words. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. See, I I just think it's really interesting. So often when people go through suffering, there is a temptation within us in that moment to to blame God. And maybe we, we kind of do it like... As a Christian, we're like, I know I'm not supposed to, but, but sometimes we go, but God, you're in control, so therefore you are liable for my suffering, right? But the truth is, he isn't to blame. In fact, what God does with this suffering, with this temporary time that we're here, he uses it to test us and refine us. Now, when I say test, again, we have this idea in our mind, and sometimes we think of the scientist who's looking into the psychology experiment, going, I wonder how they'll react if I poke them like this. Earlier today, my son Zeke was completing a cross, uh, what are they, a word find, and the rules of a word find are that the words at the bottom should be able to be found within the word find, correct? There is no rabbit in the word find. We have searched for it. We have consulted others. There is no rabbit, and yet it's down there at the bottom. It's not fair. But sometimes we can feel like this is what God does. I'll set up an experiment. I'll see how they respond when they realize there's no rabbit. It's like that's not what God does and it's certainly not what this word test means here. The testing is a refining. It's saying there's going to be a part of you because you're experiencing this temporary word that needs to be refined. There are aspects of who you are that actually need uh, to be worked through and worked out and there are imperfections that I need to take out of you in this process. And while I'm not going to cause the suffering, I will not waste the suffering. God does not waste our suffering as we are temporary residents in this world. This isn't a test of suffering to prove something that he doesn't already know. Yes, there are tests for the purposes of verification, which our year 12s just went through, for example. But there are also tests for the purposes of strengthening. So this becomes a trial to refine us and prepare us for our eternal home. And this is it. God knows this too. He isn't just watching from a distance. He has experienced this himself in Christ. Partners with Christ in his suffering. Jesus was also tested through a fiery trial. And he was also 
a temporary guest in many respects. So the question becomes, what do we do then? Let's continue. Verse 14, if you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed. For the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. I always love a good list in the middle of a Bible passage just to give you some whiplash because you might be like, oh, yeah, sweet. I'm not stealing or murdering people. And then it's like making trouble or just prying into people's affairs. It's like, it's like just when you thought you were off the hook, it's like they just kind of bring it back, right? Love it. Love a good bit of whiplash uh, to reflect upon. Um, but but the, the truth is, he's basically saying you're temporary guests. And your temporary guests, it doesn't give you an excuse to do whatever you want because you're temporary. You still need to actually act in such a way that respects what God has created. If, you, if you're going to suffer, don't suffer for, for being a Christian. I mean, if you do that, so be it. But just don't suffer for, like, bad stuff. Don't suffer for destructive reasons. I mean, that's not how we ought to live. Uh, I feel like sometimes Christians... Uh, can do really terrible things. Like we know this, we know this of ourselves. Sometimes we can hurt and we can be provocative and we can be entitled, right? Sometimes Christians do these things and sometimes they do it in the public domain and then they suffer as a result. I don't know if you've ever seen that. That comes up from time to time. A Christian does something in the public domain and they suffer as a result, but then they excuse their behavior and they go, well, I'm just suffering for Jesus. Well, that might be true. But even as Christians, we need to critically assess how that person actually engaged in that space. <laughs> Were they being hurtful? Were they being unnecessarily provocative? It's one thing to say, well, I'm suffering for Jesus. But don't get caught up in, in claiming that if the words and the actions that you express while suffering for Jesus as a temporary resident is that which is hostile and destructive and painful. And this is what Peter wants to highlight. There is a reason that when you hire an Airbnb, there is not just a host rating, right, but there is also a guest rating, right? Because whether you are the host or whether you are the guest, there is an expectation of respect and honour. If we are temporary guests, which we are, and Peter highlights, then we should not suffer because we are destructive. I can't go to St. Leonard's and burn the mattress in my distress and feel justified. It just doesn't work that way. And I suppose this is why I want to, I suppose, remind us, particularly as day by day we navigate suffering, this life that we live in as temporary guests, it may not be a five-star hotel, but we can actually be five-star guests. <laughs> that's, what, that's, that's what Peter's pointing out here. Right? It's, like, it's like, guys, I get it. I get what you are suffering. And this is not like a punishment from God. In fact, God is going to use this to refine you and prepare you for eternity because this is just a temporary kind of like situation here. But also God knows that too. He suffered, so there's like solidarity there. But given that you're here temporarily, it doesn't mean you can just do what you want. Don't be destructive. In fact, instead be the kind of guest even in a hostile world that maybe even doesn't reflect such suffering, but does ultimately reflect the future hope that we hold. And so when we were down there at St. Leonard's, first we thought, okay, we're going to stay here. 
So we started cleaning up the place. We got inside, we started scrubbing uh, the kitchen, we started cleaning out the rooms, whatever we could find there, we just started cleaning this house up, right? Because we're like, okay, this isn't a five-star hotel, but we are going to be, as best we can, five-star guests. And so we started kind of scrubbing this place up and cleaning it as best we could, and it was full on, like bits of wall panel were falling off. Like it was, it was horrendous. And, and, and remembering this is being calibrated against our expectation of beach holiday, right? So for the first few hours of our beach holiday, we're not in the beach. It was like pulling apart walls and cleaning up. And we're just wanting to do our best in that circumstance. I'd like to think maybe in that moment, we were a little bit like this. It's like we suffered, but we weren't going to be defined by that suffering. and We weren't going to rebel because of that suffering. In fact, we're like, hey, we're here temporarily, and we're going to be as better, best guests as we can. It continues. For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? And also, quoting Proverbs 11.31 in the Greek, if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to godless sinners? Now up here, the important message here is we get judged first. It's, it's easy in a passage like this to kind of skip forward and kind of develop some sort of kind of sick superiority complex because it's like, oh, you know, if, if war judgment begins with us, then, then what about those who haven't obeyed good news? Oh, they're really bad, right? This is a weird sick superiority complex going on when we kind of get into that kind of headspace. But, but actually what Peter is getting at here is he reinforces the missional mandate. This actual instruction here is supposed to prompt compassion in us, not superiority. It's like, oh, if we're going to be judged first, how bad are they? No, 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 no. This is saying, hey, we're going to be looking out for those who don't yet know Jesus, right? We're going to be actually preparing them. We're going to be hospitable to them. We want to be extending the invitation and truth in the midst of the suffering that maybe we are experiencing as temporary guests. And I think that there's... Uh, something really profound in this. Now, uh, there's a little side, side issue. Um, if, you, if you look at that Proverbs uh, 11.31, I encourage you to look at it in the Hebrew. It's slightly different. Even in uh, your English translations, it will not be translated that way in the NIV. But whenever you see that X there, it means the Septuagint, uh, which is the Hebrew. That was, oh, sorry, the Old Testament was translated into Greek. Uh, some translations will have that actually written quite differently. But the important message in this is that we will get judged first. We are not to be superior. In fact, actually, if we feel like we are superior, by the way, you'll get judged first. And when you think about others, don't think of yourself as superior to them. Instead, have compassion on them, right, in the midst of their suffering. It's missional. It's purposeful, as it always has been through this letter. So just before I wrap up, I want to demonstrate a scriptural echo where I believe that this is reflected so well. And I think this is actually some stuff that Peter himself is picking up on. That might be going too far, but I think it's there. When we think about this temporary guest, when we think about what it means to be a five-star guest, even in a non-five-star kind of domain, and what it looks like to be judged first, I'm actually reminded of Matthew chapter 3. As we think through these words about the fiery trial that Peter refers to, I can't help but remember the words of John the Baptist. So this is John the Baptist, who was this prophet in the wilderness preparing the way for Jesus. 
And he said in verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Is that fire language? Verse 12, his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And so this is John, he's a fiery figure, he's a prophetic figure, he's using this imagery of refinement, he's gathering and he's refining. And who comes along but Jesus? Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptised by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now, for it is proper for us to do this, to fulfil all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Now, some of you might be like, Gavin, that feels like so, like, where are you going with this? Right? But I just want you to consider this story for a moment with the, the, the book of 1 Peter 4 and those words of Peter in the back of your mind. Now, yes, there is this similarity in terms of this language of fire and trials and judgment. It's like, even just prior to this passage, what is um, John the Baptist doing? But, but speaking to the Pharisees, and he says, who warned you to flee the coming wrath, right? So there's this sense in which there is this refining process that was going on. And then Jesus rolls up. And, and so many people often have this question, like, why does Jesus need to be baptized? And the only justification he gives is it's proper to do this in order to fulfill all righteousness. Like, okay, Jesus, we'll do it because you say it's right. But we don't really think about that too much, right? But Jesus is a temporary guest. He's a temporary guest in this world, at least in the form that he took in human form. And there's a sense in which he could equally say, it's like, I don't actually need to do this. Like, I don't need to be baptized. I don't need to repent. I haven't sinned, right? But I'm going to do the right thing. While I live in this world as a temporary resident, while I suffer and will continue to suffer throughout my ministry, I'm going to do the right thing. And what does God's response? It's just absolute delight. This is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. I just think that again, we shouldn't underestimate how these writers and writers like Peter pick up upon these actions of people like John the Baptist and Jesus who have not only kind of declared truth but have lived these kind of truths out. Jesus is a temporary resident doing a thing he didn't need to do but he knew it was important in his temporary time, all with this image of fire and refining around it. Peter continues in our final verse of tonight. So... If you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. Again, it just rounds up with this statement of absolute trust. It's like, don't worry, God will never fail you in the midst of this suffering. When we step out in obedience, even in as temporary residents and experience suffering, 
and we choose to do the right thing, there is something about that moment where God says, hey, this is my son and this is my daughter, who I love, and I'm pleased. I'm pleased. Because you so easily could have chosen something different. He will never fail you. You may live in a painful present, and for us at various times in our lives and to varying capacities, we're going to experience that. We ought not be surprised. We're temporary residents. You may live in a painful present, but we live toward a promised future. We might not be surprised by suffering, but we can surprise the world with how we navigate suffering. We shouldn't be surprised at suffering. We're temporary residents. But we, through our actions, can surprise our world with how we navigate suffering. This missional mandate keeps coming through, Peter, over and over again. Yes, you might feel like you're at the margins. You may feel like people are against you. But don't use that as an excuse to retreat, but instead overcome evil with good. For this is not your home. Let me pray. Jesus, we uh, we just acknowledge God that suffering takes so many forms, and it's something that um, that we see in the news, we experience locally. Um, we don't have to step far to see our suffering in others, or maybe even our own story. But God, we need to navigate it. And God, we know that um, there's going to be times when we suffer when we want answers, or we feel like there is an injustice. There's going to be times when we suffer and we're going to just want to throw fists, return uh, pain with pain. There's going to be times when we suffer and we start to doubt your character, God. And so thank you that you've given us this incredible truth in, in through this message of Peter. While it was written to a bunch of people in perhaps a very different set of circumstances to us, thank you that your truth and your example in Christ continues to speak to us. God, may we be great guests. Even in the knowledge, God, that you have an eternal future prepared for us. Where suffering does not have a place. God, may we navigate the trials and not grow bitterness within us, but rather trust that you, God, are always doing a refining work and you will not waste anything, especially our pain. You didn't waste the pain of crucifixion. In fact, you redeemed it. Not just for us, but for the whole world. And so, God, we trust you with each of our lives too. In Jesus' name, amen.
And then we invite the rest of the team to come up. We're going to close with a song. I uh, do encourage uh, you to consider where in your life right now you might be personally experiencing suffering or maybe um, being a witness to the suffering of others. And what does it look like to meet people in that place?